This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. Last week in uh, John 1.14, let me pray. Holy Spirit, speak. Reveal your word to us. And let, let Christ be formed in us. Let the face of Jesus burn deeply in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. What comes to mind when I say uh, the incarnation of Jesus? To you. Is it a baby in a manger, right? Typically, especially Christmas time, it's, it's uh, shepherds being visited by the angelic hosts. And this is all true. And um, the reason I'm going in this direction is not because it's Christmas. Though I don't have a problem with that. I personally like children's choirs this time of year and Pretending it's snowing outside. I'm down, you know. But what I'd like to talk about today is seeing the incarnation through the lens of the cross. Remember last week we began in actually Genesis 3.15. That's where we started Let's go there just quickly for review. Our team is on a corporate fast right now leading up to Jesus 21. If you guys would like to join that fast, you're more than welcome. If you're a vegan, doing a Daniel doesn't count, so figure something else out. Doesn't even count, but it's your deal. Um, <clears throat> but I do want to invite everyone to throw your hearts on the altar. For some of you, it might be one meal a day. It might, you know, maybe it is a Daniel fast. Maybe for some of you, you're all in for the next seven days and you want to go liquid. However the Lord leads you is, is up to you. But I don't want us to ever go into a moment like that without sacrifice on the altar. You can't ask for fire without something dead. Something has to die. Fire falls on that which dies. So I want to invite all of us to catch with... This is what I've learned hosting events. If you don't catch what heaven's saying, the people don't care what you're saying. You, you've got to catch what is being declared in the heavens. And that requires a, a lot of stuff, but one of which is you have to take that stuff with the violence of the Spirit. Sometimes it's, there are times where it's just not going to fall into your lap. You have got to position yourself. And, and, and one of the most practical, consistent ways we have known is a life of prayer and fasting. So I don't honor fasting above Jesus. Some people talk about fasting more than the Lord. And that's when fasting becomes an idol. Jesus isn't unto fasting and prayer. Prayer and fasting is unto Jesus. Say amen. All right. So you have to hear what the Lord is saying. And I think it's pretty wild that we named Jesus 21, come Lord Jesus. And then uh, our friends at Upper Room named their event Maranatha. 
And that's really been the theme of the last few months there. And I think anybody who's leaning in to the voice of the Holy Spirit is hearing the panting heart of God with excitement and sobriety as the coming of Jesus approaches. He is coming. I said, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So I want you to go into this week with something. Let something die. All right? You say, what does that have to do with incarnation? Everything. Because Jesus came to die. Today, uh, we say Christianity is about, uh, well, we, we don't, but, I mean, we try not to. Hopefully we never do. <laughs> and there are other people who, who are preaching a glorious, clear gospel as well. But in some ways, the gospel has become, or Christianity has become, try to do good and add God to your will so that he'll bless what's always been in your heart and um, make Jesus part of the equation that makes you the most happy. When Christianity actually is not that. It's just not that. Now, I'm the first one to tell you that life is easier without death. But you're never really alive until you die. The people who live... Could you flip that upside down, baby? The people who live the most are those who die most consistently. You say, well, I already died. I'm in Christ. Absolutely. But Jesus still offered a cross daily. So you can't take that out of your gospel theology. Well, I died when I was 12. Yeah, you did. And so now you get to die every day. Well, I was nailed to the cross with him the moment I got born again. You also have to carry a cross to be a part of his procession. Does that make sense to you? So Jesus says, if any man desires to be my disciple, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? We would all love to follow Jesus through the plush meadows of Galilee rather than follow him up Golgotha's hill with a cross on our backs as well. But this is the Christian life. It's so quiet. It's so quiet. I processed this with my father-in-law last night, and he said, you know, I've been preaching the same stuff, and it gets so quiet. It's like people don't want to hear it. But, you know, a faithful pastor is not going to answer to God regarding how comfortable he made you feel. What I will answer for is, did I preach the Bible accurately and faithfully? Other things as well. But when it comes to feeding sheep, you feed him his word and his presence. And that's why we worship. No worship, no consistent worship, no consistent presence. If you want to be a house of presence, you have to be a house of worship. It is, it, there is no, you cannot escape it. When, I'll get to the text in a minute. When God asked me to give up golf, it was my life. I mean, my life. I woke up with it, trained 
hours and hours a day, went to bed thinking about it. It's all I knew. And I still love the game. And I remember my dad asking me one day when I was practicing, he said, would you give this up ever? And I said, of course. And then my dad and mom were the ones who funded it. So this must have been the Lord because they loved the game of golf and loved the fact that I was playing golf. So right in the middle of a practice routine, he said, would you quit this? And I'm thinking, dad caught a demon. This is weird. <laughs> so then he goes, he goes, I said, yeah, I would, of course. Went right back to hitting the ball. And then my dad goes, well, then do it. And then he, I don't know, went back into watching me hit balls. I couldn't shake that for weeks. For weeks. And finally, after two weeks of trying to negotiate with the Lord, which, by the way, never works. If you grew up in sports or you watch, let's say, somebody win an award, uh, you know you always hear them, and it's wonderful. I love it. I like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christians love to do that, and it's beautiful. I love it when they give a bold witness. But what can happen as an athlete, especially a Christian, or in any other area of life, is you start making deals with the Lord like this. If you'll just let me win, I will glorify you. And the Lord's like, no, no, I'm going to get glory out of you, whether you win or not. We don't play on your terms. You have a cross on your back. You're a walking dead man. It's so quiet. I, I love you. I know it's Christmas. You want to hear about this on Good Friday. But this is why Jesus came. He came to die. And I'm not giving you anything that's not in the Word. Now, a lot of revival theology, unfortunately, has dropped this. Because we're more interested in activating you prophetically than you following Jesus. You said, no, I thought that is part of it. It's part of it, but it's not the crux of it. So the biblical pattern is always you die and you come alive. God made a promise that basically as long as the earth is, there shall be seed, time, and? Uh -huh, that has a lot more to do than just your pocketbook. <laughs> just, your, just your pocketbook. It is actually a way of living. Jesus, the first seed, gave birth to much fruit. That's why he's called the first fruit. And when you yield your life to the Lord, he takes his finger, puts you on his finger like a little seed, and jams you into the ground where nobody can see you. When Michael and Larissa came last year, Michael and Larissa Miller, they talked about being planted. I thought it was beautiful because it's probably, that sermon was probably the antithesis of how 99% of churches are birthed. If you want to launch a big church quickly, evidently, how many of you know God knows how to build his church? Don't tell people to come and die. Just tell them to come and you'll help make their dreams come true. We, we are the church that exists for your gifting. So 
So we're going to make room for your gifting. Well, hold on. I thought your gift should make room for you. That means I don't have to. So God takes you and jams you into the ground where you're invisible because that's the way of Christ. It's the way of the incarnation. When Jesus, Jesus didn't just appear in the manger. Understand? He came as a seed in the womb of a virgin named Mary. Pretty invisible. Pretty hidden. And so the Lord has no problem talking us away in the shadow of the womb. Hiddenness is glorious. Hiddenness is to be protected. Hiding in the shadow of the Most High is a protected place. It's tough to see in the shadows. When the seed goes in the ground, before it breaks the ground, I touched on this Tuesday at Jesus School, the seed must die. When the seed dies in the soil, if you read the parable of the sower, the soil speaks of the heart that has either been tenderized by God's presence or has been hardened by being away from the presence. The wayside is away from the way. Rocket science, huh? The wayside is away from the way. The way is Jesus. If you live on the wayside, seed is stolen. So, when Jesus was introduced to Israel, think of this, John the Baptist did this gloriously. And John the Baptist lived and operated in the spirit and power of Elijah. Is that not right? Yes, say, say yes, even if you don't know. It, it's totally true. I promise you. And if you look at John the Baptist's life, he declared a few things. One, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus wasn't introduced initially, listen, in his initial introduction as the one who's the great healer, though he is. He wasn't introduced as the one who activates you in your ministry, though he does. But his initial and primary and preeminent introduction by his best friend and cousin was this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When we think that, we automatically think harvest, and that's okay. But I want to go beyond that. I'm not going there right now. I want to talk about this. Jesus was born to die. And if you don't see the incarnation through the lens of the cross, you miss the whole point. Jesus came to save us. He came to die our death. He came to be buried 
so that we wouldn't fear it. He came in the likeness of men and women. I should say the likeness of man. He came in the likeness of humanity and lived, listen to this, from the womb to the tomb perfectly. So that you could identify with him on every front. Jesus knows what it is to be a man. And he is still a man. You're like, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. He is 100% still a man. And still God. That's amazing. And it can't be any other way if once you begin to think about it. So let's look at the scriptures here. Genesis 3.15. I'm running out of time. You're supposed to say, no, keep going. <laughs> Makes preachers feel better. All right. Genesis 3.15. Actually, let's back up, which I always do. And uh, let's go to verse 14. This is after the fall. I find it super comical <laughs> that the Lord goes to Adam in verse 9, says, where are you? As though he didn't know. Of course he knew. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I, I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. That's what shame always does. Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you? You should not eat. One of the traps of being addicted to non-balanced identity teaching is being more aware of you than you are of the Lord. This is one of the traps. It's actually a digression to the fall. You need to know the Lord better than you know who you are in the Lord. And in what that does is actually give you the life you're meant to have in the Lord. Booyah. I haven't heard that in a while. Booyah. All right. Okay. Proof that you are who you say you are in the Lord is that you're more addicted to the Lord than you are about who you are in the Lord. So one gives me the language and the lingo of the lifestyle. An addiction to Jesus himself is proof that I'm in the lifestyle. Does that make sense? One is like knowing the bio on the back of a book. The other is like knowing the author. Verse 12. <laughs> Let's read the end, the end of verse 11. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave, she gave me of the tree and I ate it. So Adam basically went like this. She did it. Now look, this is the best part. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent made me do it. So they both deflected. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Here we go now. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, with a capital S, 
He shall bruise your head or crush your head is another word. Crush your head and you will bruise his heel. All right, here we go. A seed is coming. And seed with a capital S means he will come, listen, as a man. And this is what he will come to do. Crush the head of the devil through the bruising of his own heel. That's called the cross. Now here's the beautiful thing. The first one to ever preach the gospel is the Lord. Genesis 3.15 is called the first gospel declaration. The Greek is proto-evangelion. The first declaration that this man is coming to destroy the one who destroyed the image of God in men and women. So at the first declaration, he goes, oh yeah, seed's coming. In other words, the virgin will be with child. And yeah, he'll be born in a manger. Doesn't say that here, but that's basically the point. A seed is coming. And he'll run for his life to Egypt. And he will live a perfect and holy life. And yes, he'll multiply food. Yes, he'll heal the sick. Yes, he'll cast out devils. He'll put children on his leg and, you know, bless them like the scriptures. Do all that wonderful stuff. (laughs) Do all that. But the scripture here in Genesis 3.15 goes directly to the crushing of the devil through the bruising of the heel. So the father is basically saying, yes, a baby's coming. Yes, a man is coming. Let me tell you what he'll do. He will die and destroy death. Hallelujah. So Genesis 1.14, we, we touched on this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Notice it doesn't say the flesh became the word. It says the word became flesh. So when we speak of incarnation, we have to understand that this one who wears skin is God. I said this one who wears skin is God. This child in the manger is God. But the incarnation is not limited to Christmas night. Write this down. God is most accurately and gloriously described and portrayed in the cross. God is most accurately and gloriously described and portrayed in the cross. No other moment declares who God is more perfectly than the cross. Our God comes to die for his own. You know, we we all say God is good. But if somebody asked you why, what would you say? Your list would be like, everyone would have a different reason. But the goodness of God is portrayed through the work of the cross. It's undeniable. Somebody said, how do you know God's good? Because he died for me. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word in the Greek actually means tabernacled.
His skin became the tent of the word. This is wild. Beautiful. So he tabernacled among us. The word, the second person of the Godhead, became flesh. So I had to be born of a woman. And dwelt among us, tabernacled with us. This is, let me tell you this. In heaven, you will be blown away by the glory of the incarnate one. The wonder of it is going to cause you to worship for billions of years. For billions of years, once you understand who the Word is, who God is, how majestic He is, the earth, listen to this language, is His footstool. Have you ever used a footstool? They have them in golf locker rooms because the golf shoes can be hard to get any little shoe tree. Put your foot on the footstool and slide it in. The earth, not the Grand Canyon, not the Atlantic Ocean. The earth is the Lord's footstool. Right, let me let, 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 let me can you, can we fry your brains this morning? Can we let the Lord do it? Because that births worship. See, you've got to let the Holy Spirit hit you and strike you in a way that it produces wonder. If you lose the wonder, you're gonna lose the glory of worship. So this is the way we read the Bible. We go, okay, Genesis is about, you know, plants in the garden and naked. Adam and Eve, and they screwed up, and, you know, they made their little outfits, tried to fix the problem, and then, you know, people kept getting worse and worse, and then God wanted to flood the world, and he said, Noah, I'm going to teach you how to build a boat, and this is how you make boats, Noah, and Noah built the boat and saved all the giraffes. (laughs) Giraffes are still here, and we have lions, and uh, chipmunks and all that stuff <clears throat> they're all in there and and then you know Noah just floats on the water for 40 days and 40 nights somehow gets through all that and oh my gosh and then after that the Lord is lonely you know so he's looking for a friend and finds Abraham and that's all about friendship and then he burst this this family and they had a lot of babies back then and then they just named all their sons Beaming, 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 straight down the line. And they became tribes, and then a nation was birthed. If you read the Bible like that, you're going to miss Jesus the whole time. But the early church did not read the Bible that way. It might work in waiting rooms and doctor's offices to keep your kids quiet. Like, Ooh, look at that. Little pages and all that. There's, oh, no, no. The entire Bible is about Jesus. You say, you can't say that. I can say that because Jesus said that. The scriptures speak of me. Well, no, he's talking about those scriptures. No, he wasn't talking about those scriptures because they hadn't been written when he said it. He's talking about the Old Testament. They were the only scriptures that they had. I find this amazing. The Ethiopian eunuch is on his chariot 
And the Bible says Philip runs to stop the chariot. Why does he run to stop the chariot? You remember this in the book of Acts? Why does he run? Say the Holy Spirit. Yeah. When you're led of the Spirit, there are levels of obedience. So it doesn't just matter that you do what he's saying. When you're in intimacy with God, you pick up the tone of what he's saying. And that actually triggers the pace by which you go. If Philip walks to the chariot, Ethiopia doesn't get the gospel. He misses it. Have you ever had God talk to you and the pace of his voice awakens your soul? You ever had that? Or he'll talk to you sometimes and it calms you. Right? That's what a worship set's all about. What, how is the wind blowing? How is the Lord coming? What is he doing? And you dig until you find it and then you yield. That's the whole point. So Philip overtakes the chariot. That's not easy. You ever try that? Multiple horses in front of something that's much larger than you with a dignitary in it and Philip overtakes it all by himself. That's called the Holy Spirit. What question does the Ethiopian eunuch ask? He's reading the book of Isaiah. Does he say to Philip, what is this all about? No. He says, who? Who is he talking about? Who? The scriptures are about the who. And so off the bat in Genesis 3, a baby's coming. A man is coming. A seed is coming that's going to crush you, Satan. And that's why Peter tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus refused affiliation. I should say this. He refused a kingdom outside the cross. So much so that he called Peter Satan. He didn't call Peter a heretic. Or having, he didn't say you're having a bad day. He said, you're Satan. What does that tell me? It is Satan's work to disconnect me from the cross. The Pharisees, what did they say to Jesus while he's on the cross? Come down. Oh, man. Thank you. Trying. See, some, for some, I can feel that some of you are you're afraid and freaked out. But you know what? When I finally gave up the game of golf... I finally came alive. This wasn't a hobby for me. I did it in tears. And when I did it, the grace of the Holy Spirit so filled me, and I heard the Lord say, why'd you wait so long? Isn't this wonderful? Say he came to die. This is the pattern of the Christian life. Psalm 104, verse 29. 
I'm going to land this thing in about 10 minutes. Is this all right? Do you realize what the Lord's doing in you when you sit under the scriptures like this? He's forming Christ in you. It may not feel sexy. But listen to me. Listen to me. In the days we're in, you don't need any more sexy preaching. Listen, listen. What you need, what you need is true meat whereby which you can stand. It's true. The other stuff, I don't even, honestly, what? Are you freaking out? Oh. She, you like that? We'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> this, listen, you're like, this is new teaching. No, this is so old, it sounds new. This is Christian teaching. This is something called the Bible. It's just the Bible. Like that, this right here, 2,000 years ago, was not an inspirational symbol. You didn't hang these on your neck or your wall. In fact, you were freaked out every time you saw one of these. Because if you grew up in ancient Israel, you saw bodies hanging off of these, lining the highways to send you a message that if you rebel, you die as well. This is what Jesus offers. This, this is like the electric chair of the day. That's why we must resist compromise in church and in building church. And we must resist the thought process that, well, I'm doing this for souls. I'm doing this. I had, I had a couple of people say, um, I hope you have like 50,000 people in your church and I hope we do too. And in the back of my head, I go, I've never even thought of that. How is that the goal? Because if that's the goal, if just getting 50,000 people somewhere is the goal, I can do that a million different ways. I just need to up my promotional budget because people are sheep. Too much, huh? You're like, it's Christmas. We sang Come come Let Us Adore Him. (laughs) I'm trying to tell you about the one you're singing to. You're like, but I want to live. I'm trying to get you there. If you want to live daily, you have to die daily. This is what Jesus offers every day. You're like, I don't want it. As Joy Dawson used to say, oh, sweetie, he's not changing the rules for you, little Michael. You're like, I I don't like this. This is a Sunday morning. I want you to live in the Spirit. Psalm 104, verse 29. When you hide your face, they are troubled. Look at the progression. You take away their breath, and they, and they what? And return to their dust. Oh, what happens in verse 30? When you send forth your Spirit, they are... Oh, my gosh. Wait, I want to live first. No, 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 no. If you want his breath, you have to let him take yours away. Don't be singing, take my breath away. I know you're all hearing it. That's the progression in the Christian life. You want the breath of the Spirit? 
Lose your own. Why did Paul say, we all are led like sheep to a slaughter daily. Daily we die. This is where you come alive. So this baby comes and wears a body. Yes, to show us who the Father is. But our Father is most gloriously portrayed in the yieldedness of his son who came to die. So when you're pondering in your heart, what is the Lord like? I want you to think about the cross. Just tap the person next to you because it's quiet. All right. Isaiah 7.14. Go there and then we'll close. I think your dad was right, babe. He said, they're going to be really quiet. They're quiet. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if they like, like it. But I don't know what you're thinking right now, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do it anyways. There's no, I don't know where we even got to. Bring it in slowly. <laughs> Start slow. You know. Just get him to volunteer first. And then get him into a small group. Two years. Love him. Then give him the cross. But if any man desires to be my disciple, he must... <laughs> no, I'm not waiting a year. We're a young church, but we're going to start dead. I'm not waiting. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This is what I want to say to you right now. He doesn't just try to be with us. It's his nature. It's his nature to identify with us. In Exodus 25, the Bible says this. Create for me, the Lord says to, to Moses, create for me a habitation that I might qu come and dwell among them. It has always been God's desire to live with his people. Not to merely visit, but once Moses applies the blood, the Lord says, I want to live with them now. Help me there, Nathan. Yeah. I want to live with them. The Bible says that God and Adam walked together in the cool of the day. He wanted to be with Adam. The Bible says of Noah, Noah walked with God. It's always been God's desire. What does the scripture say of Enoch? He was taken. Why? He walked with God. And so man in our rebellion, losing the image of the Lord, the, the, the horror of our sin, 
escalated and escalated and escalated. And the scripture teaches that the blood of goats and sheep could not fix the situation. So John says here in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the same one from Exodus 25. The only Bible the early church had was the Old Testament for the first hundred years of the church. What I want you to become addicted to in this next season, hopefully your entire life, is finding Jesus from Genesis to Malachi. It's the same Jesus from Exodus 25 who says, I want to come live with them. Finally, he does more than that. He does more than dwell in the form of a cloud. Finally, he says, I'm going to be one of them. I mean, okay, God took a nap on the bow of a boat. God. God hung on the tree and said, I'm thirsty. This isn't symbolic. God looked at the Samaritan woman and said, I thirst. Can I have some water? God. God sat down. God stood up. God walked. God was mocked. God was beaten. God was hugged. God became a man fully. Because there was no way to get to him. You say, man, what he did, forgive my sin. Yes, that's just part of it, though. Because there was another issue at work called death. The soul that sins must die. What did he say? In the day you eat of this, you will die. Death was the issue. What did Paul say? The wages of sin is death. So it wasn't just about blotting away sin for a year. There had to be blood much more potent and powerful than the blood of an animal that could just give you access yearly. There was something else that needed to be destroyed. Death. Half of you got it. Only this side of the room. (laughs) Death had to be destroyed. The penalty for the sin had to be conquered. And so the one in whose image we were created had to come in the likeness of a human, as a full human, and restore the image. You cannot abolish a law until it's fulfilled. So Jesus fulfills the law. And because he fulfills the law perfectly, the tomb couldn't hold him. That's the gospel. Corruption is for the sinner. 
So he dusted off the grave, and Psalm, the Psalms tell us he did not see corruption. You would not allow your Holy One to see corruption. So Jesus did much more than just wipe your sin away. He did do that. He destroyed death on your behalf. That you might live. That you might live. But if you don't die, you don't live. When the seed goes into the ground, the shell breaks. It breaks. And what comes forth? The beauty of life. Many of you are holding on to your shell. Holding on to your life. With every head bowed and eye closed. Don't hold on to your life anymore. What you just heard is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't hold on to your life. You don't just go pray this prayer and then hold on to your life and call it the Christian life. No, no, no. The Christian life is the life of carrying the cross. And the cross says, this man, this woman is dead and alive in Christ. Do you know why you're tired? Do you know why you feel like you're losing your life? Because Jesus said the one who tries to keep his life will lose his life. But he who loses his life shall gain it. You want to come alive this morning? Let go. Let go and die. Die to your will. Die to your bondage. Die to the stain. Die to the pressure. Die to the guilt. Die to the shame. Die even to your own dreams. Die to your own plans. Die to it all. Die to it all. And you mark my words, the wind of heaven will come. When your breath leaves, his breath will come. And Paul writes this, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.